Second Corinthians chapter 4, we'll read the whole chapter. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is, is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Lord, this is your holy word, and we desire to learn more about you this morning and to please you in our obedience. Lord, we commit this time to you and your word to you, and uh, we ask for the leading and wisdom of your Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth of your word, which is our life. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have uh, been observing the ministry of Paul for some time now. Uh, and uh, last week we heard uh, from Paul in Acts 20, verse 23, uh, that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So he knew it was coming. In fact, he really knew it was coming. He'd already experienced uh, quite a bit of suffering. Uh, and uh, it wasn't hypothetical to him. He knew what he was facing. Uh, but we also saw last week Paul's response in verse 24. He said, none of these things move me. And by that, I, he was saying uh, he was going to obey. He was committed to head to Jerusalem uh, to likely suffer more and maybe even die. Uh, but he didn't lose heart. And uh, he didn't faint in fulfilling uh, the ministry that God had called him to, to be part of. And in verse 24, it says that, that I may finish my race with joy 
and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And uh, we are also responsible to proclaim and live the good news, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been com commissioned, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, to communicate the good news to all the world, starting where we are now. And, uh, you know, we're to proclaim the gospel and then help those who respond in repentance and faith to grow as disciples. But uh, in proclaiming the gospel and in the ministry of sharing the word, uh, it is possible sometimes to lose heart. And we also heard last week that uh, there, is, there are real costs to being a disciple. Uh, sometimes it is uh, stressful, painful. And uh, the question is, uh, why do we lose heart in our ministry? Why do we lose heart? I jotted down a few reasons. There may be more, but uh, first of all, we're just tired. We're weary. We're physically and emotionally worn out, possibly. Uh, secondly, we feel we're inadequate. We feel like we don't have the skill or the, the knowledge that we need to, to really carry this out. Uh, sometimes it's just fear, especially the fear of rejection. Uh, I think sometimes inertia sets in. You know, maybe we're not sure how to start. We don't know how to begin. What do we do? Uh, also, it might be a, an issue of priorities and our use of time. Uh, or it could be just a lack of prayer and, and readiness. Uh, sometimes maybe it's because we haven't seen results, the results we expected anyway, and, uh, which, by the way, uh, is what many missionaries experience. They, uh, they may uh, not see fruit for many years uh, and, and after many years of suffering until they're gone. Uh, or another reason is maybe we just uh, didn't expect the resistance that we got. Uh, you know, with the suffering that resulted, uh, we weren't quite ready for that. Uh, but let's look at why Paul didn't lose heart. In our passage today, Second uh, Corinthians 4, uh, this, this book actually was written in Macedonia uh, before the book of Acts. And this chapter is in the middle of a large uh, section, or it's a digression, uh, in the book of Second Corinthians. From chapter 2, verse 14, through chapter 7, verse 4, uh, Paul is telling the Corinthians uh, the truth about his ministry. Uh, he's trying to correct what the false teachers were saying. Uh, he's defending the integrity and the authority of the ministry of the gospel uh, which he had among them. And the passage starts in uh, verse 1, we do not lose heart. And it ends basically in uh, verse 16 saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. So uh, this morning we're going to be looking at a few principles that will help us to not lose heart in our ministry. And, uh, you know, this time of year, this is a good time of year uh, to think about ministry in general. Uh, the end of the year is a good time to plan and, and pray and uh, ask God what he would want you to believe him for in, in regard to uh, ministry uh, to your family and ministry with your family. Talk louder. Uh, our family, we like to have a, a year-end council. We call it a year-end council. And uh, we get together and uh, we uh, list goals and uh, some of the categories we have in there are financial uh, some are educational uh, we really like to talk about our goals for our vacation uh, we talk about uh, of course our growth in the word how do we want to get the word into our lives and one of the categories uh, we all always talk about is what ministry do we want uh, God to uh, use us in and uh, in sharing the truth of those who don't know the Lord and in serving the brethren so one thing we've learned, by the way, is uh, to keep those pretty simple. The like first year we had pages, and uh, now we have a paragraph, and uh, that's much more helpful. Uh, but this morning we're going to look broadly at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, first of all I'd like to look at two definitions. 
ministry. Uh, as it is used here in uh, verse 1, uh, it's the word diakonia in Greek, in which, uh, according to Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, is the general ministry of the servant of the Lord in communicating the gospel. And now, ministry does have a general connotation and meaning, uh, and it does have a, a meaning of service. Uh, but all ministry is informed by the word, and all ministry uh, gives us the opportunity to share the word. Uh, so all ministry is related to the word. And as Paul said in Acts 20:24, 20, his ministry and ours is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And 2 Corinthians 5:18 says that God reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And 2 Corinthians 5:20 says we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. The second definition is the phrase, do not lose heart. Uh, it's not really that often in the New Testament, uh, just four times that I can find, but it means to be discouraged, to give up, to be faint-hearted, and uh, a second uh, meaning was to be deficient in our duty. Uh, several other passages, uh, I'll, I'll just mention two. Luke 18:1, where Jesus said uh, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And he's telling us to, to be persistent in prayer, of course, and not give up easily, to be like the widow who uh, continually came before the judge, never gave up, she, she never quit. Uh, Galatians 6.9 says, uh, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Uh, this talks about growing weary and being tired and serving others, uh, but, but we should remember the reward, it says, the harvest we will reap if we do not lose heart. And so with those two uh, definitions in mind, let's look at verse 1. And it says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Now God has given us ministry because of his mercy. And we don't often equate those two. Um, but we won't lose heart if we realize that we have any ministry because of his mercy. You know, he was merciful to save us. He is merciful to include us in his work. He calls us uh, workers together with him in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. And he calls us his fellow workers in 1 Corinthians 3, 9. So he's merciful to call us uh, his ambassadors, as we mentioned before. And he's merciful to save us uh, from our self-love. And I, as I was thinking about this, I thought, without salvation, uh, we would just be consumed by our desires. We'd be focused on ourselves all the time. We'd be miserable and probably bored. And uh, John Stott said it this way, we are being delivered from the bondage of self-centeredness into the liberty of service. So we're being delivered from ourselves, essentially. And I'm not sure how many of you saw the movie Wall-E, or however you pronounce that, Wall-E, I guess. Uh, but in it, there's this little robot, and uh, he, you know, he's called Wall-E, and he diligently and tirelessly works to uh, clean up the planet. And uh, while all the humans have left Earth, and they're living in space, and after many years uh, there, they become kind of unconnected from each other. They're all just kind of independent, and uh, they're physically weak, and their muscles have atrophied, and everything is done for them. And they live a, really a purposeless life, uh, meaningless. And it's a life of perpetual vacation, basically. Uh, so they're just entertaining themselves. And I think there's some equivalence in our modern day, of course. It's not just in a movie. Uh, and so they have really no meaningful work to do. Uh, but all people need meaningful work, and God made us to do that. And uh, God has certainly given us a meaningful task, uh, really a supernatural job. That's what we have. 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And uh, since we were regenerated by his mercy, we can now take our eyes off of ourselves and start looking at uh, helping others to know his mercy. And uh, last week, Phil uh, used this phrase, uh, that we now have a, a cause that captivates. And I thought that was very good, a, a cause that captivates. We have a great commission, a task that can and should excite us, uh, a task that can satisfy every longing we've ever had to make our lives count and to invest our lives for eternity. Sherry and I, some years ago, uh, we were reading some books on counseling, and we came across a book by Larry Crabb. I don't remember much about what he wrote, but I do remember in this book on biblical counseling that uh, the thesis of the book was basically two people really long for two broad uh, things. They, they long for security, and they long for significance. And uh, they look for these often in illegitimate ways. They, they, they do things that they shouldn't do that will not help them, and so they're illegitimate. They're outside of the gospel. But uh, believers can know uh, eternal security, of course, and they can have a, a significance, a, a purpose in uh, the ministry of the gospel. We all have that. And uh, it's a task worthy of our lives, and it's certainly captivating. We have a glorious gospel to tell, and we have all authority to carry it out. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations. So he said all nations. That's the whole world. And isn't that a task that should captivate us? Isn't that a purpose that we can joyfully give our lives for? I, it doesn't get any bigger uh, or more glorious. And praise God for his mercy in saving us from ourselves and for saving us from giving our lives for that which is not eternal. So point one is that we will not lose heart if we remember that God in his mercy has called us to minister the gospel. Point number two is from verses two through six. And it states that we will not lose heart if we manifest the truth plainly and honestly. In verse two it says, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And Paul is here clarifying that he had never hidden the gospel at all. Like men hide uh, when they're ashamed of something or, or they're of their shameful motivations. Uh, nor was he crafty. And the word there meant unscrupulous in conduct or cunning. Uh, and he had not been deceitful in any way. That verse uh, or that word uh, had the meaning of to adulterate something or to falsify it or corrupt it. It also had the meaning of to dilute something or water it down, like mixing the, the word of God, mingling the word of God with false doctrines. And in Vine's dictionary, again, it, it, he, he called it huckstering. And I don't know about you, but when I thought of that word uh, huckster, uh, my first thought was some televangelists, uh, some, and, uh, and some revivalists. And, uh, you know, and really, they, mostly because uh, I felt that they were ministering for personal gain. And uh, there's a book that we read uh, during the uh, elder training class, one of the, one of the many books we read. Uh, and the book was called The Church as God's Armory. Excellent book uh, by Brian Abshar. He's, he's uh, fun to read, uh, very direct and uh, witty. And uh, he is a teaching elder in the PCA. And he has a chapter called The Real Seduction of Biblical Christianity, uh, where he talks about men in the 18th century like uh, Charles Finney and how revivalism and pietism and Arminianism uh, really corrupted the gospel and the way that they were presenting the gospel. And Abshire said, the secret 
to a successful revival back then was to appeal to the reason, intellect, and emotions of the individual. Thus, conviction resulting from the preaching of God's law was increasingly replaced with guilt manipulation, emotional outbursts, and appealing to the individual will. Sinful men could now be saved on their own terms with a simplified gospel watered down for the masses. This is not what Paul did. Paul said he had manifested the truth. And that word manifest here in in verses 10 and 11 means to make something visible and to make it clear or known. It's the opposite of uh, covering it up. It means uh, to uncover or reveal. Paul didn't do anything to hide the truth of the gospel or make it hard to understand uh, or for personal gain. And this is what the false apostles were accusing him of, of course. They said, you know, your gospel and the way you present it probably uh, is not good and and not effective. Uh, But Paul spoke it clearly, and he lived it clearly. Uh, He had lived it, and they knew it in their conscience, even if uh, they weren't weren't willing to admit it outwardly that, uh, you know, his proclamation was true. And uh, we won't read this uh, passage right now, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, there's a list of what Paul went through, and we've all read that before, um, and it proves that he was manifesting the gospel in his life. So he proved his love for them and for the word, and he clearly, clearly demonstrated by his life the reality and the power of the gospel. Uh, he didn't need to embellish the word. In fact, he knew that the word, you know, the gospel is uh, the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. He knew that the word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's powerful. It's like a hammer that breaks rocks. He knew it would accomplish what God intended it to accomplish. And a major cross-reference related to how Paul communicated the good news is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And if you'd turn with me, please. 1 Corinthians 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know, uh, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him Christ. Thank you. Now it's probably too loud. Okay, so the next night uh, he, he woke uh, coughing and he noticed the man across the aisle again trying to stand and uh, like the night before he fell back whimpering. I don't like bad smells, uh, Mr. Nichols said. I didn't want to become involved, uh, but I got out of bed. I went over to him and uh, when I touched his shoulder, his eyes opened wide uh, with fear Uh, I smiled, I put my uh, arms around him, under him, and I picked him up. Uh, He was very light due to old age and advanced TB. I carried him to the washroom, which was just a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. After he finished, I uh, picked him up, I carried him back to his bed. As I laid him down, he kissed me on the cheek, smiled, and said something I I couldn't understand. The next morning, another patient woke me and handed me a steaming cup of tea. He motioned with his hands, that he wanted a tract. As the sun rose, other patients approached and indicated they also wanted booklets. I had tried to, to uh, distribute before. Throughout the day, nurses, interns, and doctors asked for literature. Weeks later, an evangelist who spoke the language visited me and uh, discovered that several had put their trust in Christ as Savior as a result of reading the literature. 
And his final thought was, what did it take to reach these people with the gospel? It wasn't health or the ability to speak their language or a persuasive talk. He couldn't talk. Uh, He said, I simply took a trip to the bathroom. Sometimes I think that's all it takes for us to get a chance to communicate the good news. Um, He demonstrated and he manifested, just like Paul, the reality of the gospel. And uh, he couldn't speak, uh, yet God opened a door for the gospel by an act of kindness. And and, uh, anyone, I believe, who asks questions and really listens to people will have a great ministry. Uh, The gospel can and should be simply, at least initially, simply and clearly presented. Let the living word of God and the Holy Spirit convict. Our task is to communicate the gospel. Uh, By the way, if we want to become better prepared, and we should be uh, always working to be better prepared in sharing the gospel, we can study passages uh, in the word. For example, Romans 3, 21 through 26, or all of Romans 3. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Uh, We can read books. For example, uh, The Disciplines of Grace by Jerry Bridges. Uh, There's a chapter in the middle of that uh, which he uh, calls uh, Preach the Gospel to Yourself Every Day. It's a great chapter to to think about. Uh, He also has a book called The The Gospel for Real Life. So any of those would be very helpful. We can and we should study uh, apologetics. And uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, uh, Phil uh, introduced me uh, to a book. It's called Introduction to Defending the Faith. Uh, I liked it because, well, it's cheap, and being Scottish, that's appealing, but uh, it's very uh, very thin, uh, and it's very easy to understand, very easy to read, and it is a very good introduction to defending the faith, and Caleb and I have started going over that. I think it's, I don't know, $4, $5. I would highly recommend starting with that uh, in terms of the study of apologetics in your family. Uh, We can learn from evangelists. We can learn from other evangelists, like Ray Comfort. Some of you have heard uh, of him, and some of you I know uh, have... Uh, found his tracks, uh, but he always begins by helping people to see that they are lawbreakers first, and then by asking questions regarding the Ten Commandments. That's how he begins, and then he points them to the one who can pay the penalty for their their lawbreaking. Uh, Spurgeon said that uh, the law is our ablest auxiliary, and by that he meant uh, our most powerful weapon. In our battle, the law is is a weapon that I think often we don't uh, proclaim. Uh, but that is part of pro- proclaiming the gospel. Uh, or uh, another thing we can do and, and uh, helps, I think, is to have tracks on hand. Uh, I used to do that in Japan when I couldn't say anything. Uh, and sometimes they uh, would be very surprised, but they would take it, and I believe they read it and, uh, it and could sow some seeds that way. And, of course, we can memorize the word and become more confident uh, in communicating the gospel. But uh, to be able to know and communicate the gospel well we, we have to have a heart of love uh, for others and to have a heart of love for others. Uh, we must be meeting personally with Jesus daily. We must be growing in our relationship with him, praising him for the good news, because he is the good news. Jesus Christ is the good news. And the more we know him, the more powerfully and joyfully we will share the good news. Uh, we would also, of course, need to be building relationships with unbelievers in order to proclaim the gospel and building relationships with each other, with other believers, in order to minister to them. Every Christian has a ministry in exercising dominion in the spheres in which he or she lives. And as for us here at DCC, that is primarily uh, to our family and then with our family. And again, in the the book, uh, The Church is God's Armory, 
Brian Amshire said, Christians need to reclaim the centrality of household ministry. The bedrock of all Christian ministry is evangelizing the unconverted and then discipling new believers into the faith. Everything else revolves around those two fundamental ministries. And no matter how successful a church may be, if it isn't accomplishing these two basic tasks, it's a failure. So he's talking about ministry in two broad ways again, evangelizing the lost, proclaiming the good news, and discipling those who are converted, helping them to mature in the faith. Uh, He goes on to say, while uh, God gifts some men with special abilities of evangelism, he is pleased to bring most people to saving faith in Christ through the personal witness of average people. Furthermore, Christians are not discipled in a program, but in a personal, intimate relationship. Both of these basic ministries are best carried out through covenant households. Moving on to verse 3, Paul says that even if the gospel was hidden or veiled, uh, it was not because of their ministry or the complexity of the gospel or anything like that, because they had proclaimed it very clearly. Uh, But it was and is uh, because some have darkened minds. And they're darkened by Satan. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, we see that uh, we are the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. Now, to those who, are, uh, who will be saved, uh, we are the, a wonderful aroma, a nice smell, an aroma of life. Uh, but to those who will perish, we are an aroma of death. And Paul went on to say that he didn't preach himself. He wasn't trying to put himself forward, uh, which we also read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, but he preached... Christ Jesus the Lord. And he lived the gospel among them as a bondservant for Jesus' sake. Um, In verse 6, we see that it is God who created the light to shine out of darkness at creation who enlightens minds and hearts. And it is God who shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our task is to preach the gospel. Tell about Christ the good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-7, through 7, Paul said, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but it is God who gave the increase, or, or the fruit. Uh, so then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So God gives the fruit. Acts 4.12 says that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, John 14.6 says that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. Romans 10.14 and 15, How shall they believe in him, of they ha- in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? So people must hear clearly about Jesus Christ. We must focus on him. Salvation is in him alone. And if we focus on Christ as we are communicating the gospel, as we're living our life, uh, if we focus on who he is and what he has done, We will not lose heart if some don't understand or if we suffer for communicating the gospel. Point number three, we will not lose heart if we let Jesus be seen in our weakness. And he starts off by saying we have uh, the treasure of the glorious gospel in earthen vessels. That is jars of clay. And uh, I think the jars he was talking about here, they weren't fancy. Uh, They didn't stand out. In fact, they were probably fairly fragile. Uh, and we are weak in many ways. You know, we often feel that 
our weakness limits us in our ministry. Uh, but actually, the opposite is true. Paul said that the excellence of the power or of the message is of God and not of us. Uh, earlier in his letter, Paul said uh, in chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, uh, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. And later in this letter, he asked God three times. You've all heard that. He had a thorn in the flesh. Uh, we're not sure exactly what that was. Uh, but apparently he felt it was hindering him and making it hard to carry on his ministry. So he asked three times uh, that God would take away this thorn in the flesh. Uh, but the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect, or it's revealed in, uh, in your weakness. And uh, when Paul heard that, uh, he responded, uh, that he would rather boast in his infirmities. It's an interesting reaction. He said uh, that the power of Christ would then rest upon him and be seen in him. He even said he would take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, and in distresses, because when he is weak, then he knew he was really strong. Uh, that is, he had a strength from God, and he could show God's strength. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are mighty. And we may feel that we are weak in certain areas, and that we, you know, it causes us to uh, be hindered in, in stepping forward and being involved in, in uh, ministry and sharing the gospel. Maybe we just have a hard time speaking. And many of us, it's just hard to start. Uh, sometimes we, we kind of panic at uh, defending against untruth, uh, or or maybe we're just depressed and we wonder how can God use me? I don't think I have enough energy to to do anything, uh, or we have some uh, physical impediment that we feel uh, makes us uh, less effective in communicating. Uh, there are many things that uh, we, we feel that you know that weaknesses uh, hinder us. And I was re recently uh, reading a devotional called Extreme Devotion. I think some of, maybe some of you have this. It's put out, put out by Voice of the Martyrs and, and their daily devotions. We've gone through about a third of it uh, with our family. And it's mostly, it's, some of it is from Fox's Book of Martyrs, but some of it is about modern martyrs. And um, I found a story about a man in Eastern Europe. And uh, this is where, uh, at that time, where to preach the gospel or hand out Bibles was uh, illegal, if not dangerous. And uh, I'd like to read uh, th that story. This is about Mihai. Mihai's Volkswagen van slowly inched its way closer to the border checkpoint. He anxiously whispered a short prayer, Dear Jesus, please protect your word from being found and confiscated by the border guards. So he was smuggling things across the, the border. The guards sternly ordered him out of the van and began their list of questions. What brings you to our country? Will you be visiting anyone here? If so, who? Do you have any guns? Mihai carefully answered each question, but his heart beat with great intensity as out of the corner of his eye, he caught one of the guards looking under every seat in his van. Mihai started to get weary from standing so long. Satisfied with Mihai's answers, the guards finally allowed him to enter their country, his precious goods successfully hidden from their view. And it goes on, uh, for years, this courageous young courier had smuggled gospel literature into communist nations in Eastern Europe. Uh, his secret cargo never being discovered. Mihai was an ordinary man whose extraordinary vision was uh, quite a challenge. You see, he had no legs. 
They had been amputated almost to his hips, but he was determined not to let his handicap get in the way of communicating the gospel. Like the Apostle Paul, Mihai knew that Christ's power would be perfected in his physical weakness. After being fitted with metal limbs, he would stuff the literature into the hollow of each leg and then eagerly begin his journey. And I, I, The first time I read that, I, I kind of chuckled. And the second time, I think I almost cried, thinking of uh, our brother doing such a thing. Not letting his physical limitations at all uh, stop him uh, from doing something dangerous. So here was a man, certainly weak by the world standard, um, and yet he was surrendered to be a servant of the gospel. And are, are we surrendered to be a servant of the gospel that way, in, in spite of, our, of what we feel our weaknesses are? Uh, God can use our weaknesses to confound the strong, the so-called strong or the wise. Moving on in verses 8 and 9, we see that uh, although going through so much pain and suffering, uh, the words that were used there, there are four words, hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Those were the words that he used. Paul and his fellow servants weren't crushed. They weren't in despair. They weren't feeling forsaken, and they weren't destroyed. Uh, but they did carry in them, in their bodies, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus uh, could be manifested or seen in them. In Philippians 3.10, Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul wanted to become like him in his death in that way. He wanted to reveal the Lord Jesus in whatever way, even in his suffering. Paul and his colleagues had a spirit of faith in the promises of God that he would use them even though they were weak and suffering. They simply believed, and so they spoke. In Acts 4.20, the apostles said that they could not but speak of what they had seen and heard. They had to speak. And uh, Paul and, the, and his colleagues remembered that God, who, the God who raised the Lord Jesus would also raise them up and those to whom they ministered. Uh, the resurrection was always in their minds, and the resurrection power was evident, evident in their ministries. And as a result of their sufferings, uh, that the grace of God would be spread through many people, and uh, thus there would be much thanksgiving all for the glory of God. So the, the point here was that we will not lose heart in our ministry if we realize that God can use us and our weaknesses uh, to be powerful testimonies for him. So don't hold back with your weaknesses. Let God use them, surrender them to him, uh, ask him to use you, and to use, specifically use your weaknesses so that his glory will be revealed. The final point is that we won't lose heart if we have an eternal perspective. Verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So God is renewing our hearts daily and sanctifying us continually by the work of his spirit. Uh, Paul goes on to say, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He looked at the eternal, and uh, he was looking at the unseen because the things which uh, we can see are, are temporal. They're passing away. Even his, his weak uh, earthly body uh, was passing away, while the eternal and the lasting things uh, are unseen to our physical eyes now, uh, but they can be seen by faith. In Romans 8.18, Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So uh, in comparison to eternal glory with the Lord, he could call his many sufferings light 
and he called them momentary. And in Paul's case, and we all know what Paul went through, to call it light and momentary is quite an understatement compared to most, what most experience uh, in sharing the gospel. In uh, reading about, uh, in, I actually, that book uh, I mentioned earlier, Extreme Devotion, I actually skim-read the, the whole rest of the book. And uh, that is quite an experience, to read those stories in one setting, one sitting. It'd be like reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, you know, it's an incredible experience. But I saw two things, uh, as I read, I, two things in almost every case of the people who were suffering cruelly and the people who had died uh, and later died. They, they, first of all, they remembered what Jesus had done. They, they remembered what he had gone through for them and testified of this during their persecution and then up, even up to their death. And secondly, they looked forward to everlasting peace and joy with the Lord. They were, they were looking at the exceeding and eternal weight of glory uh, that was ahead of them to their eternal and lasting home. And so we also should not lose heart as we suffer. And uh, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There, you will suffer. There is a cost to being a disciple. Uh, because even with the incessant pull of the world, which causes us to get our eyes off of the eternal, uh, we can have an eternal perspective as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and as we rely on his promises. And uh, I'd like to close uh, today by praying for our brethren in Orissa, India. And uh, I think it was about two weeks ago, Pastor Phil sent out a, a prayer request about the uh, extreme suffering that our brothers and sisters in Christ in India are going through right now. Uh, apparently it started when a Hindu uh, radical, I think, uh, or no, a Hindu leader was killed, and they decided they would blame it on Christians. And uh, over the last uh, several weeks, uh, there's been horrific um, suffering uh, by the, our brothers there, and uh, in fact, I was driving home with the kids one day and on uh, the radio, uh, I think it was World Vision uh, Report, said that they thought that there were at least 100,000 uh, of, of these Christians who fled into the jungle. Uh, their homes were burned. The churches have been burned. Uh, there's nothing for them physically to go back to. And then uh, I heard that, that these radicals had offered a reward for every pastor uh, that someone would kill. They'd offered quite a bit in their money. It was a lot of money more than many years of, of income, and uh, also to kill church leaders. And in uh, Hebrews 13.3, it says that we should remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are also in the body. So as a body, I'd like to pray for them and remember them, and uh, then I'll close in prayer. Lord, may our brothers and sisters in India not lose heart. Grant them grace to turn to you, to seek your face. Lord, may those who are attacking them and killing them and burning their homes and churches be cast down. And may many of their attackers turn to you because of the testimony of, of your children. Lord, we pray that the weakness and the suffering of our brothers would reveal your strength and your power and that they would rejoice in your presence and be strong in you. And Lord, uh, help us here uh, to not lose heart in ministry but to be thankful for your mercy, which gives us the chance to be involved in proclaiming the glorious gospel. Lord, help us to speak the truth of the gospel plainly and honestly. Help us to be thankful when you use us, and even in our weaknesses, and you use our weaknesses to reveal your strength and your glory. And help us, Father, to keep an eternal perspective, to live by your promises. We pray these things, we ask them in the name of Jesus. 
the suffering servant. Amen.